G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 12 Review, the first of the buy rounds, just six games this week, but uh, still plenty of deep diving into the six games that were played. We're just the people to bring it to you. Uh, we are here, of course, thanks to Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Interesting weekend of footy. A couple of absolute thrillers. Uh, some real excitement in the Dreamtime game. And a couple of big statements made by a couple of flag contenders. As I say, a very good evening to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. What would you make of it all, Finey? Well, certainly didn't lack for excitement, six games instead of nine, but you felt that you had a a good value weekend of football watching, I felt. Right throughout the weekend, there was enough to keep you glued to the screens. And, well, it just goes to show that it's quality, not quantity, that makes for good football viewing. Yeah, there's probably a couple of teams we can just about draw a line through too as far as uh, finals prospects go, but we'll uh, get on to that. In some detail, personally, Fanny, I will never, ever draw a line through the best hamburger store in the universe. Uh, I don't know who you're talking about. Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridgeport Street, Albert Park. Look, we are again in Melbourne having to endure lockdown, lockdown 4.0. But if you are, and they have extended the range, to 10 kilometres, so that means so many more Melbournians can get out and grab a great takeaway bite. It is truly fast food done with the care and professionalism of, well, a home-cooked meal, even though it is always going to be a burger and a takeaway burger at that. So the, the very best meat, the best buns, the best vegetables all put together to make well, what has been for eight plus decades, that's right, over 80 years, Melbourne's favourite burger, Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. I should say, too, I had a quick uh, text exchange with uh, Greg Metropolis, one of the two Gregs running Andrews. And uh, look, they are doing it tough. They're, uh, they're open for business, but it's tough for them. So if you can support them, you're in the... Uh, what is it, 10-kilometre range, please get down there and support one of the finest uh, fast food establishments in this beautiful city. And while you're there, and uh, if you are considering some home renos, please consider the best renovation firm in the universe as well, Finey. Who am I talking about? I'm speaking of West Point Properties. Nick Spartel's the principal. Look, uh, they have been able to continue work. Of course, people in the construction industry have been allowed to continue working during this lockdown period. And that's a good thing too, because they remain busy. They remain in demand. And if you are looking for the best possible home renovation or new build in the inner southeastern Melbourne suburbs, look no farther than West Point Properties. Contact Nick Spartels. And another great partner of this podcast, Stats Insider, the best sports data analyst in the caper. They work with a range of more than 15 sports globally. They sample the possible outcomes of a contest more than 10,000 times. That's right, 10,000 times to give you the best range of probable outcomes. And there's some great writing on that website as well. In fact, I'll be writing a column for them tomorrow. Don't know what it is yet, but I can tell you it'll be bloody good. So get on statsinsider.com. .au, uh, independent sports journalism, the best sports data analyst going around, and most importantly, all free to use. It's a wonderful website. Check it out, statsinsider.com.au. All right, short and round this week, but we've still got six games to talk about. Let's do it now. On Footyology, wrap around. 
First game of round 12 on Friday evening in Sydney. Originally scheduled for Alice Springs this game, but uh, one of many uh, transferred to other locations. This one at Giant Stadium. A big uh, top-of-the-table clash between Melbourne and Brisbane and another emphatic win by the Demons. Had to work hard for it down at halftime, but a big second half by the, uh, well, the form side of the competition. They are super impressive. And they finished up with a 22-point win over the Lions. The final score, Melbourne, 14-13-97. Defeating Brisbane, 11-9-75. The goal kickers, three to McDonald, three to Pickett, two each to Fritch and Petrarca, and singles to Gorn, Jackson, Neil Bullen, and Sparrow for the Lions. Zach Bailey, their uh, perhaps surprise leading goal kicker with four. Great game from him. Two goals to Charlie Cameron. Singles to Coleman, Danaher, Hipwood, McCarthy and Zorko. Uh, well, a game of two halves, really, this one. Finey, uh, Brisbane certainly impressive at the start. Four goals to two in that opening term and 20-point leaders at halftime, but uh, the Demons really able to turn the screws in the second half, uh, turn things around, started to play the brand of footy they play best. Brisbane had really controlled the tempo, a slower possession base down the line game early, but Melbourne played that running brand that uh, they are pursuing so effectively in 2021. And uh, going away in the finish, uh, they are super impressive, Finey. What do you make of them? Well, first of all, a game of giant stadium and almost fittingly because it was a big game and the Demons made another big statement, didn't they? Having the previous Friday night defeated the Bulldogs, which a lot of people considered a heavyweight clash and appointed to a grand final. They've come out against the next likely grand finalist, Brisbane, and similarly made that big statement. And Christian Petrarca, is starting to put together a CV that makes you want to see him play in finals. It really does look like he's having the season that could culminate in ultimate glory. It's exactly what premiership teams need, that star that can lift them up by the bootstraps. He's a super player and proved it again on Friday night. Clayton Oliver took a while to work into the game, but certainly did in the second half. And what Melbourne have is a reliable defence that springboards into attack thanks to their intercept mark ability. And we've sort of marvelled that they're improved outside run, haven't we, this year, Rowan, given that they haven't necessarily recruited players to bolster that part of the game. They've simply taken upon themselves to play with more outside dash and some of their players that we previously associated with not having that ability have been able to lift. So that gives quicker service to a forward line that still isn't 100% settled, but we know that. We know this. Cozzy Pickett is dynamic. Tom McDonald is back in the very best of form. And how about his second half? They had a lot of players who turned it around at halftime to guarantee that win. And I think he's emblematic of a side that has the ability within a game to look at its stars on the field, say, pick up the cudgels and have that work done. Yeah, no, I think that's spot on. Uh, I mean, two things really impress me about them. One is the the rise in stature of their more peripheral players. And I thought, you know, that run generated uh, by the likes of Spargo and, and Sparrow and Neil Bullen, I, I thought that was really important. Um, you mentioned players turning around. Oliver hadn't had a huge game, but his third quarter, along with Petrarca and Gorn, was immense. Uh, Tom McDonald, probably the best example of that. Uh, nine disposals in the second half, nine score involvements and three goals. So they finally got that target up forward. They'd waked early. But that all, I think, is is just emblematic of uh, their greater psychological um, hardness. You know, their ability now to turn around a game that isn't going their way. That is something we've never really associated with the Demons. You know, uh, previous years, if things were going bad, they were destined for an ordinary evening. But several times now this season, they've been travelling not that well. 
and just being able to tweak it a, a bit here or there and uh, really drag themselves up to their their 100% best. And this was a great example of it, I thought. And that is an example of a side that really has all things going for it. Great balance across the field there. Their defence is terrific, has been all season. The forward line um, is more dynamic than it was, more potent than it was in the midfield, has a better balance of that inside and outside work. So you look at them, we talked on Friday evening, this has to be the first time they've been outright premiership favourite since their last premiership in 1964. You just can't fold them at the moment. 11 wins from 12. Uh, look, things, something could go wrong, but it's pretty hard to see what may go wrong because there's barely an area of their game that you can question at the moment. You have watched football over the last 10, 20, closer to 50 years as we have. You'd really ask, who is this team in red and blue? If sort of uh, you ever wanted to know whether a leopard could change their spots, then I guess this is a team that has done just that. But of course, the history means nothing to them. They're making their own history. And I think, you think, Everybody who watches the game thinks this team could, I'm not saying will, break the drought. Well, let's have a quick chat about Brisbane. Um, yeah, look, they had won seven games in a row. That seems to be about as far as a winning streak can extend these days. Do they have anything to worry about at all out of that result, do you think? You never want to lose to a fellow premiership contender. Of course not, but I'll cut them some slack. Look, they led by 20 points at three-quarter time. There's certainly room for improvement. That forward line is Danaher providing the sort of change, the, the quantifiable change that will take them to a flag. Maybe not. But then again, it was Lockie Neal's first game after a long break. So we'll cut them some slack in that department and look towards how they respond as a pointer to how they'll go for the rest of the season. Well, it's a good uh, chance for them to take stock because they are one of the buy teams next week. Uh, They will get a break along with three other sides. Melbourne, in the meantime, they have got the big uh, traditional annual big freeze game, of course, uh, funds raised for that uh, going to motor neurone disease research. And Neil Danaher, a great champion of that cause, unfortunately won't be at the MCG, second year in a row, where the MCG won't get to see that. That game now being played at the SCG on the Queen's birthday, Monday, 3.20pm. So look forward to that. Uh, bigger test in Melbourne after Collingwood's revival over the weekend. Brisbane with the week off. That was Friday evening and there were three games played on Saturday. Let's have a chat about those ones. The first game on the Saturday card, uh, a swap of venues here too. This game originally scheduled for Marvel Stadium in Melbourne, switched uh, to the SCG. This one, a relatively uncomplicated switch because these two teams will play each other again. So those two fixtures just swapped around. Obviously, tilted the odds a bit in favour of the home side, and that was Sydney. And they ended up with the points, only just though, pretty uh, narrow shave for them and a pretty good performance by the Saints, albeit without getting the win in the end. Nine points the margin, Sydney 13-14, 92, defeating St Kilda 12-11, 83. The goals, three to Will Hayward, two each to Buddy Franklin, McDonald and Heaney singles to Papley, Parker, Kennedy and Rowbottom. He kicked the final goal of a game to secure the win for the Saints. Two to Membry, two to Burns and singles to Wood, Higgins, King, Steele, Butler, Ross, Billings and Battle. Well, I thought it was a pretty game effort by your Saints, Finey. Unfortunately, and not necessarily reflected in the scoreboard. They actually did kick more goals and points in this one, but uh, wow, some big chances missed. And the poster boy for that, sadly, and you had to feel sorry for him, Jack Higgins, who finished up with one six and a couple of golden opportunities at the end. And he looked completely spooked in the uh, the rush with which he took 
both those opportunities. So uh, a chance gone begging for your Saints to uh, get a second straight win on the board. Yeah, you sort of feel like um, the fisherman that came home and said, you should see the one that got away. And unfortunately, that doesn't fill the pot or feed the family. In the case of St Kilda, it doesn't give them the four points they needed to be some chance of making the finals. It really was that important a game where you'd say that now they are done and dusted for season 2021. Not without valour, as you pointed out. It was a pretty exciting game of football and Higgins in that last quarter missed three set shots and unfortunately for Higgins, one of them to put St Kilda in front in the shadows of the final siren. It was a good game of football. St Kilda got good service out of a back line that looked like they may be really tested, especially early with Franklin flexing his muscles on Dougal Howard and Isaac Heaney looking dangerous. But they fought back pretty well. Claverino playing at centre-half back actually grew into the role. The early loss of Mason Wood was almost counterbalanced by bringing Highmore on, which allowed, again, a little bit of height flexibility in the back line. It was, you know what was a really fascinating clash in this game? Two two footballers that, well, you'd think almost a couple of years ago, maybe career near over. Hickey and Ryder put on a magnificent display in the ruck for both of their teams. Wow, Ryder's a fantastic player in his final years. Not only does he ruck well, but he tackles well and kicks well and marks beautifully. And Hickey continues to be this fascinating late bloomer who leads Sydney in the ruck so ably. And he actually had a good deputy in the second game of Joel Amati, who showed quite a bit and probably slams the door on Callum Sinclair's career at the Sydney Swans. Look, in the end, the Sydney Swans led for most of the day and had most of the answers. And that's why they take away the four points. Let's be, let's be honest, St Kilda could have hit the front but didn't. And you still believe there might have been a response from Sydney with Kennedy, who'd been pretty quiet, having a say late in the game and just enough class around the ground to win them the four points on a day where they probably go back and have plenty to review, which would please John Longmire. So not perfect, but four points, which serves them, you know, a means to an end perfectly. Yeah, well, one thing that's impressing me with them too is that uh, their, their form early season, the Swans, it was flashy and it was exciting. And I, th- I feel like of late they really haven't had that to the same degree, but the senior players have really led the way. And it's almost like the um, the two things have combined more the longer the season's gone. So they're a more complete side as a result of that. Um, and they can tough it out in the games where they're not really going at 100% and uh, need to scratch and scrap around for uh, the points, which they managed to do. Gee, uh, another, speaking about feeling sorry for people, you've got to feel sorry for Jaron Geary. Cannot take a trick with injuries and uh, dislocated a shoulder, which apparently they couldn't get back in. Um, And he was in a lot of pain right near the end of the game. Max King struggling with a back injury. And as you said, Mason Wood off very early in the piece with a hamstring. So injuries certainly didn't help them. But Jaron Geary, boy, I I don't know how much more he can take before he uh, calls uh, father time finally, because he certainly, fate isn't being kind to him, is it? No, and he still showed in, in dispatches how courageous a footballer he is. So it is an unfair end to a, a long and not storied in terms of success on field, but highly respected at the club. So a great career that unfortunately seems to be coming, as you say, to an end unwillingly because of a body that just can't go on. And your calling time officially on the uh, Saints finals chances? Okay, well, I'm just having a look at the ladder now. Uh, a game outside the eight would suggest they've still got a chance, but they have got a tough run home, haven't they? And and, and no percentage. Yeah, uh, no, fair call, I think, that one. Uh, what's on the agenda for either of these sides next week? Well, the Swans have got a game against Hawthorne Friday evening at the SCG. Uh, certainly, given current standings, you'd expect them to win that one pretty comfortably. The Saints are playing as well. 
They have got Adelaide on Saturday evening. And that one up in Cairns, Kazali's Stadium, that'll be interesting. Have St Kilda played a game at uh, Kazali's before for points, Finey? No, I don't think so. And that game's not certain to be played there, I don't think. Okay, well, uh, not for the first time uh, and probably not for the last time. A game scheduled somewhere may well be played somewhere else. So keep your eye on that one. But for the moment, that game scheduled for Cairns, 7.25pm. Saturday evening. All right, that was the afternoon game on Saturday. We had a twilight game, which proved to be a bit of a thriller as well. Next game on the Saturday card over in Adelaide, twilight start and uh, a real thriller this. Uh, Boy, couldn't tell who was going to win this one in doubt right until the final moments. But credit where it's due, Collingwood having a terrible season, but uh, they really found something, managed to uh, well, find some goals, more importantly. And uh, one man largely to thank for that, Jamie Elliott, coming back into that side. And boy, speaking about barometers as we were the other evening, uh, and I can't think of too many players who are a better barometer for their team than this little uh, high-leaping goal-kicking forward because he was outstanding for the Pies. They hung on. In the end, for a, a really good five-point win, Collingwood 12-6, 78, defeating the Crows 10 goals, 13-73. The goals, Elliott 6, uh, all the rest for the Pies singles to Thomas, Degoe, Bianco, Poulter, Dacos and Sidebottom. And for Adelaide, two to Walker, two to Seedsman, two to Fogarty, Two to McAdam, singles to Thilthorpe and McHenry. Well, uh, you often get a feel with Collingwood when they're on the road, finally. If if they start well, uh, you think, well, they've come to play. And I certainly had that feeling early in this game. Five straight. Uh, I think Elliot three or maybe even four of those. And Adelaide just the single goal. The Crows had to fight really hard to make up that lost ground. They did so. Hit the front. Uh, it was a frantic finish, wasn't it? Um, we saw side bottom hit the post and then uh, goals to the Crows. Thilthorpe kick one, McAdam kick one. Uh, six minutes left and they were in front. But uh, the very next centre bounce, another goal to Elliott. Collingwood in front again with uh, five minutes on the clock and they were able to hang on uh, for a terrific win. Uh, look, they're too far gone to be able to make a, a run in it from here, but certainly badly needed for them in terms of morale, don't you think? Yeah, that's exactly what the club needed. All the talk about Collingwood has been about the off-field brouhaha committee and the future of Nathan Buckley. Uh, they needed something on-field because they're a football team, for goodness sake. They're not a article in Who magazine, and this is exactly the sort of football that they needed. Jamie Elliott returns to the team into a forward line that had run out of ideas, to be honest. You know, they tried Darcy Moore down there, didn't work. Darcy Cameron has been tried down there as solely a forward, didn't work. Majacek has had better seasons. Unfortunately, Mason Cox is a work that's progress has probably halted. And they just needed something. And didn't they get it in Jamie Elliott? Brilliant start to the game. And it was almost fitting, almost script-written that he would kick that fantastic goal from 50 metres to win them the game. Even though only five minutes to go, you sort of thought, yeah, that makes sense. As for the Adelaide Crows, they should take no, um, lose no heart from that game. I, I was really impressed. A lot of youngsters in that team, aren't they? Uh, Ronan O'Connor, is it? We saw playing a game of league football. Phil Thorpe is a very much development forward. And we know that they've got a battery of other youngsters, Chase Jones, etc., that are in the formative years of their career. The midfield, again, Ben Keyes continues to do a, you know, a, a body of work. And when I say body, I mean a big, solid body of work. Laird was fantastic. They were, uh, you know, played obviously brilliantly with Seedsman, the former Magpie. Plenty of the ball and a couple of great goals. His long kicking is a feature of his game. So I don't think that they'd be too disheartened. And as for the Pies, you know what? 
as much as I'd love to say Elliot was complimented by a fleet of brilliant youngsters, I thought Pendlebury was very good. Sidebottom had a much better game. Dacos is playing good football in and around the in and around the stoppages and kicked an important goal as well. So both teams take something out of the game, but for Collingwood, the four points is exactly what they needed to distract their now not long suffering but recent suffering fans from all the other rubbish that get piled on them when they read the papers and look at the websites during the week. Bit of a showcase for young talent this game, I thought, on either side. Um, uh, one, well, I mean, this guy's been around a bit now, but I thought O'Brien really good for the Crows in the ruck. So they've got be- uh, plenty to look forward to. But Collingwood, we've talked about, uh, you know, is there enough coming through? And just in the last few weeks, I think a couple have emerged that they can be a, a bit excited about. Uh, one of them, Bianco, I thought he had some really good moments. And Poulter. Uh, I think is is pretty impressive as well. I thought he was pretty conspicuous in that last quarter, particularly. So uh, not just Dacos now. There's a couple of other young guys in that side who you're looking at and thinking, well, yeah, if Collingwood are uh, rebuilding for the longer term, I can see these two guys being important parts of it. Um, yeah, look just in- on that, just on those two, very much personal nicknames, but I guess I call them Carl and Jeff. Uh, Jeff Poulter and uh, Carl Bianco. Yes, two acquaintances of ours um, uh, and interesting acquaintances they are. So, um, yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, uh, Just important for the Pies, this one, in terms of the whole club, I think. I mean, we've we've talked about the off-field stuff going on there and who knows how long that's going to go on for. But uh, you're right. I mean, the focus has been completely away from the on-field stuff. They really need to to drag it back to that and sort of remind people that they are a, a football club and not a branch of a political organisation or something. So just from those terms, I thought it was a, a pretty important win for them too. Uh, the challenge will be to continue to build on that for them uh, because they are up against the best side at the moment in the competition in Melbourne in the big freeze game, of course, being shifted from the MCG to the SCG, that one at 3.20pm on the Queen's birthday Monday. As for the Crows, well, they've got a game against St Kilda uh, currently scheduled for Cairns at Kazali Stadium. But uh, as we said earlier, who knows if that is going to remain the case. So uh, check your local guides for details would be the advice there. Uh, Speaking of transferred games, there was one left on the Saturday and one of the showpiece games on the home and away calendar, it too being moved from its original location. The Dreamtime game, otherwise known this year as Dreamtime in the West, of course, Essendon and Richmond uh, is always a great fixture on the schedule. Unfortunately, another one not able to be played at the MCG, but what a fantastic alternate venue it was. Optus Stadium in Perth is one of the great stadiums in sport already after only a few years and the atmosphere there, fantastic. And the uh, hats off to the WA football public. Boy, did they respond. A crowd of 55,656 at Optus Stadium for a game between two non-Western Australian sides. Outstanding effort by the WA football public. They put on a terrific show. The pre-game ceremonies were fantastic. The long walk, a a traditional part of this fixture, was great in the lead-up. And the game itself, well, I thought the game itself was pretty good too because Richmond, the uh, reigning champs, well, they came to play definitely and looked really impressive, uh, led by more than five goals for long periods of this. And you thought, well, Essendon getting a lesson, but... The Bombers wouldn't be denied, found something, came back, hit the front in the final quarter, halfway through the final quarter, and you thought, well, this is going to go right down to the wire. Well, it didn't, because the final margin was 39 points, and that was due to an outstanding burst from the Tigers. Seven goals in about 16 minutes uh, to close out the game and reassert their supremacy. The final scores, Richmond 19-9, accurate kicking 123, defeating the Bombers 
12-12-84. The goals, three goals to Ham for the Dons. Three to Hooker, two to Waterman. Singles to Cox, Wangford, Phillips and Stringer. For the Tigers, three to Bolton. Wow, big last quarter from him. Three to Castagna, three to Martin, two to Coleman-Jones, two to Graham, two to Rewalt. Singles to Bolter, Caddy, McIntosh and Rioli. Uh, did you think the Dons were a chance of uh, taking the points when they hit the front finding? You know, I tipped them, Rowan, and I was absolutely mesmerised. More than that, look, I hope there was no video cameras on me. I was off my seat, fisting the air, screaming, come on, Bombers. I hope there's no permanent record of me ever doing that again. But they were fantastic. You would not have given them a snowball's chance on a hot Perth day, having lost McGrath in the opening minutes of the game, down at quarter time. You know, you're up against a brilliant team. You've lost a key midfielder. But Darcy Parrish, his powers this season have no limits. And you sort of ask yourself, well, he can't do any more. He gets 30-odd touches a game anyhow. How's he going to fill the breach? Well, he ended up with 44 touches and best on ground. That's how. A new record for the Bombers too. New club record for possessions in a go. Just brilliant. Merritt was great as well. 30 plus touches and you've got to give credit to the Bombers their ability to fight back because at three quarter time against again it looked as though effort had been matched by the better team but that opening salvo in the last quarter had me off my seat yes Richmond won by a comfortable margin but GS and then are an improved side aren't they and you look at the forward line that functions very well with, you know, a dare I say, a surprising lineup. You know, Hooker is a dangerous big man with a, a sort of a deadly kick at goal. You have a, a lineup there that has in the forward line the dangers of the powerful Tip and Witty. Um, Waterman can bob up, Stringer ever dangerous. And to be honest, the Tigers halfway through that last quarter were relying on Essendon missing a couple of shots of goal not to go further behind. But finally, they got their handle on the game and almost reminiscent of that game up in, was it Darwin, where they played last year? Yeah. The Dreamtime game there where Essendon were in the game and whoosh, within five minutes or 10 minutes, it was all over. I remember that was the famous Irving Mosquito game. It yep. reminded me a bit of that. Yeah, no, look, they uh, they showed their absolute best in that last 15 minutes and that shouldn't be underplayed because it was just such a powerful burst of footy. I mean, the goals just kept coming for them, didn't they? It was uh, Castagna, Bolton, Martin, Bolton, that second goal by him, a beautiful spin. Bolter, McIntosh, Rioli to close it out. Uh, they have just got a higher gear. I think people have forgotten just how destructive they can be at their best, still got players to come back into that lineup. They are, uh, well, I've said all year, I still think they win the flag, and I think that even more so after last night. One Essendon guy uh, we haven't mentioned, I want to just again give a bit of a shout out to Kyle Langford, 28 disposals from him. His last two weeks have been the best two games he has played for Essendon. So fingers crossed that can be a real light bulb moment for him because he's been outstanding for them both weeks and really added some badly needed support to that midfield mix. Challenges for them now in terms of personnel. McGrath, we're still, as we recall this, waiting to hear how serious that is, but going to be a couple of months at the absolute minimum, you'd think. Zaharakis, well, he's peripheral now, but he got injured as well. Um, So Bombers will be desperately hoping there's some players coming back on the horizon. Dusty Martin, well, Dusty's played plenty of better games than this, but he was still pretty damaging for them. Uh, Prestia is the injury concern for the Tigers, unfortunately. Having just come back, he may well have pinged a hamstring again for them. But uh, I'm telling you, Fanny, Richmond, I've said it all year, they will win the flag. They will win their third straight flag. And that was a real lookout call for everyone else in the competition. Can't 
as you know, look, I've agreed with you all the way. I can't change my mind on the back of that powerhouse finish. So watch out the rest of the comp. But we've certainly got, as the weekend has shown us, a couple of teams, at least in Melbourne and Richmond, not at the top of the ladder, Melbourne at the top, Richmond looking to get back up there, that could provide us with a very memorable final game of the year. All right. Uh, next week, uh, the Bombers have the bye. Probably good timing for them with some injuries mounting up and uh, a couple of the young guys starting to look a little bit tired. The break will come in handy for them. Uh, and the Tigers, well, they've got a, another good challenge. They will be staying in Perth this week before a Sunday evening game against West Coast at Optus Stadium. So good reconnaissance mission last night for that and a good test for them. The Eagles at home, always difficult to beat. All right, that was the Saturday card. Two games played on the Sunday. Let's have a chat about them. The first of two games on Sunday, this one in the afternoon at the SCG between Carlton and West Coast, of course, originally scheduled for the MCG. Uh, COVID put paid to that idea. So up to the SCG we went. And a pretty gritty win, you've got to say, given the lack of star power by West Coast. By 22 points in the finish, the final scores, West Coast 14-11, 95, defeating the Blues, 10 goals, 13 73. The goal kickers, four goals to Liam Ryan. What a superstar of the game he is. Absolutely outstanding today. Took another fantastic mark. Kicked some great goals. A star. Two goals to Jones. Jermaine Jones, who came on as the medical sub to replace Brad Shepard, who suffered concussion pretty early in the piece. Singles to Darling, Gaff, Redden, Sheed, Langdon, Foley, Cripps, and O'Neill for the Blues, two to DeConing, two to Owies, two to Betts, singles to Setterfield, Walsh, Cottrell, Williams. No Harry Mackay, you ask? Well, he, unfortunately, and costly for the Blues, was subbed out also uh, with concussion, and it left the Carlton side a little bit threadbare in attack. They sprayed some shots too, and it was costly, as was the start of the game, West Coast kicking the first three goals in pretty quick time. Carlton certainly had their moments and stayed within striking distance, but ultimately the Eagles controlled that last quarter and a good and necessary win for them. Finally, you've got to say, you can't discuss this game without talking about who wasn't there probably as much as who was there. And in that context, pretty good win for the Eagles, I reckon. Very good win for the Eagles. Boy, you need a lot of patience to be a Carlton supporter, don't you? The wait seems interminable. And this seemed to be an opportunity for Carlton to do what they have struggled to do so much in recent times, and that is beat a team above them on the ladder and make a genuine move towards a spot in the finals. It's as though the final eight is a, a precipice that they dare not look over. It's almost as though they're scared to approach it let alone enter the final eight. Yes, they lost Harry Mackay early, and that was always going to be a trump card gone, but it really only levelled the playing field with so many star eagles not playing, especially that forward line being decimated. Now, look, I'll say this about Carlton. It's not for lack of effort. I do believe it is for lack of probably three or four more quality footballers. I thought the endeavour was there, but when they got within that touching distance. In the third quarter, Zach Williams kicking a goal to bring them within less than a kick. It was instantaneous. The response from the West Coast Eagles, a kick off the ground out of the middle, I think, marked by Liam Ryan, taking advantage of the man on the mark rule. He steps not only the man on the mark, but a second player, slots a goal, and West Coast are off to the races, and Carlton never see them but for dust. Now, unfortunately for Carlton, this is a tale that we've heard all too often, isn't it? Valiant showings or respectable showings or non-hateful performances that don't result in wins against teams above them. And West Coast Eagles were able to be steady enough. Good to see Shannon Hearn playing an important role again. He's an important West Coast Eagle who has been stymied in recent times by injuries. But ultimately, Carlton, 
I've, it's it's three simple words, Rowan. Not good enough. No, no, I agree entirely. And uh, look, you know, we you were putting a line through St Kilda as a finals prospect. Uh, if you're going to do that, you absolutely have to put a line through the Blues now because they are now three games outside the eight. And uh, with only 10 left, they are not going to make up that leeway, not given the uh, sort of footy they're playing. And I agree with you. It's no disgrace. I, I never felt like this was a side that should be playing finals. I didn't think they were quite good enough then. And I certainly think that now. Just to, I do need to speak about the Eagles because, look, I've been critical of them the past week or so. But this was their... I think there's some argument it was their best win of the season, actually. It was certainly their grittiest win. Have a listen to the roll call of players that weren't playing today. Allen, Duggan, Kelly, McGovern, Shuey, Witherden, Kennedy, Archie and Brander. Now, as it stands, there's probably only one, maybe two of that group who aren't definitely in their best 22. So given those circumstances, they had five players in the lineup who'd played fewer than 10 games, and a couple of them were really good. Um, Foley kicked a, a really important goal for them, and I thought the two uh, Williams, um, uh, sorry, the two Edwards, and that was yes. uh, Luke and uh, Harry, Harry. I thought yep. they were both pretty good for the Eagles. So. The guys that came in and had to stand up, uh, by and large, did stand up for them. O'Neill kicked an important goal for them as well. Yes. So, so um, you know, maybe their depth is a little bit better than we've thought. And they certainly found some resilience. I thought Dom Sheed, outstanding. Um, Liam Ryan, for me, clearly best on ground. But I thought Dom Sheed probably almost as clearly um, second best. Gaff. Geez, a consistent possession winner. 30 touches to Gaff. He was important for them. Shannon Hearn, uh, 27 off halfback. He was a good player for them as well. So uh, both senior faces and youngsters stood up for them. And, uh, well, they're still in the hunt. Uh, I think it was a really important win for them. A rare win on the road. And uh, certainly a rare win at the SCG too, where they hadn't tasted victory, believe it or not, since 1999. So a couple of players in that side, uh, not even born the last time the Eagles won there. From that point of view, pretty significant result. Yeah, look, I was a bit harsh on Dom Seed in a recent stats-collecting performance as part of a West Coast loss, but not this week. He was nose to the grindstone, played an important role. And just once again to the AFL, thank you for just making it that little bit harder to watch a game of football by not giving a tinker's cuss about jumper clashes. Now, maybe in close it was okay, but you look at any of the long shots, and I'll defy anybody to tell you who had the numerical advantage for long shots from the cameraman as panning the ground. Those jumpers were pretty similar. Now, I know Indigenous round, they leave the design of the jumpers to the various clubs, but there has to be some better liaising than we had today. All right, fair point. Uh, all right, what's on the agenda for these two? Well, it's uh, a bye coming up for Carlton and uh, probably well-timed after today because they will be pretty dispirited, one would think. Good chance to collect their thoughts and at least try and regroup uh, group and try to salvage something out of this year. It's not a train wreck of a year, but it's certainly another disappointing season for the Blues and the Eagles. Well, challenges don't come much better than this one. They are back home. And they get to play Richmond, who, if you saw the Dreamtime game against the Bombers, certainly uh, finished off in fine style. I think the Tigers are coming and they're coming pretty quickly. So that will be a fantastic test at home for the Eagles. That one is on Sunday evening, 7.20pm on the East Coast. Pretty late start, that one. But, of course, the public holiday on the Monday all right, that was one of two games on Sunday. The second one played in Perth on Sunday evening. And the final game of the weekend, Sunday evening, over in Perth, it saw Fremantle up against the Western Bulldogs. The result, a 28-point victory to the Dogs, 13 goals, 15-93, defeating Fremantle 9-11-65. Both teams miss, missing their share of opportunities in this game. 
And, uh, boy, some costly injuries for the Dockers in the last quarter. More detail on that very shortly. The goal kickers for the victors, two to Bontempelli, two to Waitman, two to Liberatore, two to Hannon, singles to Norton, Hunter and Scott. For the Dockers, three to Tracy, singles to Brayshaw, Henry, Lobb, Sarong, Crowden, and Walters, the injury toll. Well, the Bulldogs lost Ruckman Stefan Martin uh, with what could be a serious shoulder injury, so that could hurt them down the track. But in terms of the result of this game, uh, you cannot overstate the importance of the Dockers' late injuries. Uh, first and foremost, Nat Fife injuring a shoulder. He sitting on the bench for the last term. Brennan Cox, Keith Backman, what could be a very serious hamstring injury. He was out for the last quarter. And then finally, the third in a very unfortunate trio, uh, Ruckman, Sean Darcy, also with a hamstring injury. They were down to bare bones in the finish and it pretty much looked like it with the Bulldogs certainly dominating much of the play in that final term and adding another five goals, five. In fact, that 28-point winning margin could have been considerably more. Aaron Norton finishing with one five for the day. A bit of a repeat of um, little Jack Higgins' performance at St Kilda. The difference being that Norton's side still had enough to win the game. What do you think of this, Finey? Look, I mean, you've never really seen such a impactful and unlucky one, two, three blow was Darcy, Fife and Cox going down like nine pins. And at that stage, as it was for most of the afternoon, the Bulldogs were in front, but Dockers were in striking distance. So I've got to say, in all honesty, it would have been a surprise and a little bit of theft had the Dockers been able to actually get that result, even with all those players on the field. Now, Griffin Logue also off injured meant that there was a paucity of big men on the ground, obviously, for the Dockers. And that was quickly taken advantage of by the Western Bulldogs. The goal that really sealed it and said, ta-ta, Dockers, was the kick by Bontempelli into the goal square. English marks said, bang, goal, thank you very much. Let's think about the next game. Bontempelli, brilliant. When the game was red hot, he's there busting tackles and absolutely doing what a superstar does. Be a very interesting Brownlow medal this year. I think there's four or five midfielders in it up to their ears and he's one of them. And what a great Brownlow medalist he would be. Liberatore, fantastic. Able to kick goals that matter. And, you know, that he's had a great season. Liber, I guess if Bont doesn't win it, he might be looking at Liber as somebody who takes votes off him. And as for the Dockers... I guess it was more of the same. Without Tabiner up forward, it fell to Lobb. He wasn't able to provide enough of a goal-kicking target. Tracy stood up, actually a very accurate kick of goal. So well done him in only his sixth game of football. But it really was... Look, we had four games this week, this weekend, didn't we, Rowan? Where teams outside the eight, not likely to make the eight, had a chance to turn the tables on teams above them. St Kilda failed, Essendon failed, Carlton failed, and by the end of the round, so did the Dockers. There is a gap between the haves and have-nots, and injuries aside, that was a game that the Dogs controlled, and unfortunately, we now have a pretty clear gulf between the top eight, not only in points, but in ability as compared to those chasing them. Yeah, I agree. And uh, look, in our earlier match discussions, we, you put a line through St Kilda as far as the finals go. We've put a line through Carlton. Frio's win-loss ledger is exactly the same as St Kilda's. Their percentage is a bit better, but still a fair gap percentage-wise to the eight and uh, another two games. I'm prepared to put a line through them as well. Are you? Yeah, I am indeed. Uh, Essendon, probably the one team with a flicker of life still left in them, and they certainly still chase a spot in the eight. But the other three teams, they can start thinking about how to restructure for 2022. Just a couple of quick points from me. One on the Dockers, and I touched on this last week, but I do find something predictable about their capacity to shoot themselves in the foot and certainly not detracting from the injuries 
and how big an impact that had, but the missed opportunities and then poor discipline. I mean, a real pivotal moment. The game was the first goal of the last quarter. They were within eight points, having kicked one on the three-quarter time siren. Um, Cody Waitman nails Nathan Wilson in a tackle. Uh, Nathan Wilson promptly hits him in the nuts, gives away a 50 and makes certain of the goal. And I think, uh, well, Callum Mills got away with one last week, but uh, I reckon this one looked a bit worse. I reckon Wilson, Mr. Wilson might uh, pay it uh, for that one at the hands of the tribunal. Yep, quick one. Well, just on that, very ill-disciplined, wasn't it? And not a, not a good look getting the old cannon. And then there was a free kick that he didn't get in the forward pocket for holding the ball. At this point, he's really giving it to Ray Chamberlain. And I've got to say that Ray has to be better than what happened there afterwards. And this is something, I'll put this as a black mark against Ray. He pays a free kick to Mitch Hannon against Wilson on the behind line. That is the greatest 50-50 you've ever seen. Impossible to split the two. And that's an umpire getting a little bit back at a lippy player from my perspective. If that's the case, and I'd Wager it was. Ray, you need to be better that than that. You've been around long enough. All right. Okay, fair point. Um, I just want to say quickly about the Bulldogs. Been a terrific first half of the season. They have the bye next week, so a good time to take stock. But uh, they'll do so from a position of strength. Second on the ladder, 10 wins and just the two losses. So uh, been a terrific half season from them. And uh, every indication, I think, that they're going to go on with it and be a really, really strong premiership chance. So week off for the Doggies next week. On Fremantle's radar is another game at home, fortunately for them, against Gold Coast, or at least that's where it's scheduled. We expect it will be played there. That is on Saturday, 4.15pm Eastern time. So that's actually a Saturday afternoon game in Perth, 215 Perth time. You don't get too many of them. Um, and Frio clearly desperately now needing a win against the side who at home you'd think they should beat. All right, that is round 12 wrapped up. That leaves us with just one item on the agenda of this podcast, Finey. And what would that be? The world famous Randolph. Let's do it. On Footyology. The rant off. Rightio, well, sometimes this segment is pretty tongue-in-cheek. Uh, sometimes, and a bit more often lately, it's been serious. And I'm going serious again and delving finally into an area I often don't like to go. There's not much I don't like commenting about. This is one of them because it's a pretty endless circle and it never gets you anywhere. But I can't hold back any longer. So I'd like you to count me in and I will unleash. I'm assuming it's not veganism. I've never heard you talk about that. So I'm interested to know what it is. One, two, three, let them rip. I'm pissed off with the umpires, Finey. Yeah, I know. I'm always crapping on about how much I hate umpire talk and how boring it is. And it might be. But there's only so much aggravation you can take before your philosophical stance towards the subject becomes instead an angry and slightly unhinged diatribe with veiled threats about their personal safety. No, I am just kidding there. But this later complete and utter refusal to pay free kicks for holding the ball might just be the kerfuffle which tips me over the edge. What the hell is going on with this rule? Has it just been suddenly and without any notification scrubbed from the official laws of the game? It's been going on for weeks now. Players wrapped up in a tackle, having had prior opportunity, the ball slipping from their grasp incorrectly, or they're still clinging to it helplessly as they're swung around two or three or four complete revolutions with nothing paid. Or worse, the player with the ball ending up with a free kick because the tackler, in frustration, has slung him to the ground with some force. What exactly does a player have to do these days to win a holding the ball free kick? Actually take the player with the ball captive, tie him with rope to a chair, stick him in a hideaway for several days and demand ransom money? There's been some absolute shockers all season, none worse than the one which actually did cost Brisbane the game down at Geelong when Zach Bailey's goal-square tackler Mark Blitzer saw the Cats' big man swung around a full 360 degrees before he dropped the ball. No free. But there seems to have been more every week as umpires appear to have decided 
they need to deliver a standing eight count before they're prepared to actually penalise the guy caught red hot in possession. Saturday night in Perth had several of them. The standouts, Jake Arts pinned by Jordan Ridley, the ball dropped, even Arts's teammate Dustin Martin coming to a complete stop waiting for the whistle, along with the one involving Dylan Grimes in his defensive goal square getting nailed and somehow getting away with it. There's plenty more examples I could have cited. It doesn't help, of course, that what should be a relatively simple rule has become so convoluted and qualified. Check it out in the laws of the game. It's online. There's no fewer than five subclauses under Rule 18.6 holding the ball. If that's not confusing enough, the wording of them is pretty shonky as well. And I'd like to thank Kadon on Twitter for pointing this out. For example, in the third clause about incorrect disposal, the rule talks about a free being paid, quote, if the player tackled elects to incorrectly dispose of the football, unquote. What? How many players ever elect to incorrectly dispose of the footy? Then it's made worse with an alleged clarification, which says, quote, a player does not incorrectly dispose of the football when he, A, genuinely attempts to correctly dispose of the football, and B, a legal tackle causes the football to be dislodged from the player's possession. Okay, so to point A, can't that mean unless a player deliberately attempts to legally dispose of the ball, he's not going to be penalised? And doesn't it also mean B, most good tackles which dislodge the football aren't rewarded? Don't most good tackles do that? By those definitions, you can excuse practically any case of holding the ball because the player in possession didn't mean not to get rid of it legally or the ball was forced out in the tackle. The definition of the entire rule is a complete mess. Simplify the bloody thing, for God's sake. Make those definitions you absolutely must have in clear, unambiguous English. But most of all, stop filling the umpire's heads with so many different calculations to make that they won't simply trust their instinct and pay even the obvious ones. It's not that complicated a game, guys. I reckon most of us with an interest in footy have a decent gut feel for what's holding the ball and what isn't, particularly the guys who do this at the elite level. Let them use that decision-making ability instead of having to memorise a rule book that's starting to rival war and peace for its length and isn't nearly as interesting. Oh, Rowan, my word. You know, it, it makes the holding the ball rule like putting together a piece of furniture. Like for me, furniture. Pardon? Ikea yeah, yeah, for me, furniture. anyhow. You know, put part A into part B and part B has to rotate in the joists of the A. And I'm on, I'm on the ground, sort of in the comatose position with a, you know, a piece of furniture sticking out by you-know-what. It, it genuinely has become, as you say, so unwieldy that you can forgive the umpires at any point in time if they're trying to remember or refer back to the rule for allowing a player to be spun around enough times to be a ride at an amusement park. Well, it, I, I, I'm convinced that that is the main cause of what's going on. I mean... It's either holding the ball or it isn't. Forget all the qualifications. Just pay it on your instincts. It's not that hard. Yeah, no, fickle, fickle. All right. I believe you have a hobby horse you'd like to ride again. Is that correct? Well, that's correct, correct. I'll explain why in the rant. Okay. Three, two, one, rant. Now, for those of you who enjoy Friday night's footyology final siren and hopefully that's all of you or will be all of you in the near future, you'll know that I had a mini rant about this only a few nights ago. But I feel that to give it its full veritas, it needs to be part of the rant bibliography, so to say. So this puts it firmly as part of rant history. And that is commentators, boys, members of the boys club, tough men who used to play the game that insist on continuing their reputations as hard men at the cost of an improved form of the game that is safer to play and truly makes the head sacrosanct. What am I talking about? Well, an incident on Friday night football when Harrison Petty of Melbourne, uh, pardon me, yes, of Melbourne, took a mark early in the game only to find himself felled from behind by the Brisbane small forward Lincoln McCarthy. It wasn't a genuine attempt to spoil. It was an old-fashioned make-em-earnest. 
Well, special comments, man, Wayne Carey, certainly part of the tough man era of football, and he copped plenty, make no bones about that, and came through the other side unscathed with a reputation for hardness. Had a look at the replay of that, and then they went to him for his final word. And his words were, no, that one's all clear. He ticked it off as being fine, that a defender has to make a forward earn his mark, and there was nothing wrong with what McCarthy did. Well, that's just not right. It's not right for those people who play the game at the lower level to believe that the courageous man in front taking the mark deserves to be tagged behind the ear with a flying fist. It's wrong and it's dangerous. And what's most annoying is you take any of these past champions of the game, Jonathan Brown, Nick Rewalt, Wayne Carey, Dermot Brereton, etc. Take them, sit them down during the week on one of the talk shows on football and talk to them about the future of the game and the importance of saving the head and reducing concussion and they'll be agreeing with you all the way to the back. The problem is that that is only good in theory for these men. In practical sense, on a Friday night, Saturday afternoon or Sunday twilight, when there are actual people involved, players who play the game and incidents they have to comment on, all of a sudden, it's back to the boys' club. Protecting the player who commits the offence for fear of being thought to dob him in and alert the max review officer. It's not good enough. What's at stake here is not just the well-being of players into the future, as though that's not important enough, as though we haven't learnt in recent years how tragic the ongoing effects of concussion can be, but it's the very game itself. Because in generations to come, there will be no football if we continue to have players post their careers at all levels, not only suffering from reduced quality of life, but indeed not living out their lives to the full because of what has happened on the football field. The responsibility is high and it's time for these tough guys and members of the boys club to put away their old reputations and think about the futures of individuals and the game. Very, very well delivered, Finey, and uh, very good point. And I agree with you very strongly. We have, unfortunately, I mean, we have people commenting on today's game who played not only in a different era, but a, an era with completely different values. And I don't know what we do about that. What do we do about that? I guess we just remind them about their good mate, Danny Frawley, and the tragic end to his life. Talk to, talk to them about Shane Tuck. I mean, these are hard discussions to have. But again, take them away from the footy field where there are particular incidents that they need to comment on and talk about it in general, general. And I bet you they agree with you. And then tell them you need to take that attitude into the commentary box, put away any allegiances or any sense that you're a dobber. I know it comes across as, and I hate this word, un-Australian, to dob a player in to almost alert the MRO that something's amiss. But take the responsibility and think about those couple of blokes that I just mentioned, and maybe we will have a safer game in the future. Because believe me, getting smashed behind the head every time you take a mark will have a long-term effect on some footballers. Uh, well said, really well said. That is definitely one of your best rants, uh, albeit of a serious bent. It's a very serious subject, and I think you've addressed it brilliantly. Well done. Thank you. That is it for the Round 12 Review edition, people. Uh, thanks for your support. Of course, we've got some terrific sponsors who are wonderful supporters of this show. We are brought to you every week by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Who else do we need to thank for this podcast, Finey? Great burgers each and every time. They're no way in any way to be connected with anything but homemade quality. So it's fast food with the eye of mum or dad making it at home. I talk about Andrew's Hamburgers 144. Brickport Street, Albert Park. And what better than a house built, renovated, that eye for detail of Nick's Bartels and West Point Properties in a southeastern Melbourne. Have a look at West Point Properties online. 
and Stats Insider, the sports data analyst to die for. They are brilliant. Check out their website uh, projections on a range of sports across the globe. They sample an event 10,000 times to give you the best range of outcomes. Some great writing on their site as well. Check it all out at statsinsider.com.au. You people out there, you are sponsors of our program as well, and we're very grateful for your support. If you want to make that support financial, you can do that at the supporter page, wherever you're listening to this podcast, or jump on footyology.com.au. Find the Patreon links. Patreon is a terrific platform for supporting independent journalism and become an official Footyology patron for just $7 Australian per month. More people getting on board and we really are grateful for that support and trust me, it really will help us continue. That's it for the show. Uh, Hope your team had a win this week. Better luck next week. Well, unless they've got the buy, in which case you're spared a week of anguish. But uh, better luck to your team next week if they lost, whenever they're playing. Uh, We'll be back to preview round 13 on Wednesday next week. Until then, catch you later.